0: Chapter Twenty of Danny's Own Story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Darren Eigenbauer. Danny's Own Story by Don McCoy. The doctor acted as his own lawyer, and the pock man, whose name was Grimes, as the lawyer Guinness. You could see that crowd had made up its mind beforehand, and was only giving us what they called a trial to satisfy their own conscience. But the fight was betwixt Grimes and Dr. Kirby the whole way through. One witness was a fellow that had been in the hotel at Cottonville the night we struck that place. We had drunk some of his liquor. This man admitted himself that he was here to turn the niggers white, said the witness. Dr. Kirby had told him what kind of medicine he was selling. We both remembered it. We both had to admit it. The next witness was the fellow that run the tavern at Bargetown. He had with him fur proof a bottle of the stuff we had brought with us. He told how he went away and left it there that very morning. Another witness told of seeing the doctor talking in the road to that nigger bishop, which any one could have seen it easy enough, for there wasn't nothing secret about it. We had met him by an accident, but you could see it made against us. Another witness says he lives not far from that big Bethel church. He says he has noticed the niggers was worked up about something for several days. They are keeping the cause of it secret. He went over to Big Bethel Church the night before, he said, and he listened outside one of the windows to find out what kind of doctrine that crazy bishop was preaching to them. They was all so worked up, and the power was with them so strong, and they was so excited they wouldn't have heard any army marching by. He had heard the bishop deliver a message to his flock for the Messiah. He had seen him go wild afterward and preach an equality sermon. That was a lying message the old bishop had took to him, and that Sam had told us about. But how was this fellow to know it was a lie? He believed in it, and he told it in a straight-ahead way that would make anyone see he was telling the truth as he thought it to be. Then there were six other witnesses. All had been in the gang that lynched the nigger that day. That nigger had confessed his crime before he was lynched. He had told how the niggers had been expecting of a messiah for several days, and how the doctor was him. He had died a preaching and a prophesying and thinking to the last minute maybe he was going to get took up in a chair to fire. "'Things kept looking worse and worse for us. "'They had the story as the niggas thought it to be. "'They thought the doctor had deliberately represented himself as such, "'instead of which the doctor had refused to be represented as that their messiah. "'More than that, he had never sold a bottle of that medicine. "'He had flung the idea of selling it way behind him "'just as soon as he had seen what the situation really was in the black counties. "'He had even despised himself for going into it. "'But the looks of things was all the other way. "'Then the doctor gave his own testimony. Gentlemen, he says, it is true that I came down here to try out that stuff in the bottle there and see if a market could be worked up for it. It is also true that, after I came here and discovered what conditions were, I decided not to sell the stuff. I didn't sell any. About this Messiah business, I know very little more than you do. The situation was created, and I blundered into it. I sent the Negroes word that I was not the person they expected. The bishop lied to them. That is my whole story. But they didn't believe him for it was just what he would have said if he would have been guilty as they thought him and then grimes gets up and says gentlemen i demand for this prisoner the penalty of death he has lent himself to a situation calculated to disturb in this county the peaceful domination of the black race by the white he is a northern man but that is not against him if this were a case where leniency were possible it should count for him as indicating in ignorance of the gravity of conditions which confront us here every day and all the time if he were my own brother i would still demand his death she he should think my attitude dictated by any lingering sectional prejudice, I may tell him what you all know, you people among whom I live for thirty years, that I am a northern man myself. The negro who was lynched today might never have committed the crime he did, had not the wild, disturbing dream of equality been stirring in his brain. And as God is my witness, I speak and act not through passion, but from the dictates of conscience. He meant it, Grimes did, and when he sat down there was a hush, and then Will, the chairman, began to call the roll i've never been much of a person to have bad dreams or nightmares or things like that but ever since that night in that schoolhouse if i do have a nightmare it takes the shape of that roll being called every word was like a spade grating and gritting and damp gravel when a grave is dug it sounded so to me samuel polymer how do you vote that chairman would say samuel polymer or whoever it was would hiss himself to his feet and he would say something like this death he wouldn't say it joyous he wouldn't say it mad he would be pale when he said it maybe and maybe trembling but he would say it like it was his duty he had to do and that couldn't be get out of that there trial had lasted so long they wasn't hot blood left in nobody just then only cold blood and determination and duty and principle buck hightower says the chairman how do you vote death says buck death for the man but say can't we just lick the kid and turn him loose and so it went up one side of the room and down the other grimes had showed them all their duty not but what they had intended to do before grimes spoke but he had put it in such a way they seen it was something with even more principle to it than they had thought it was before billy hardin said the chairman how do you vote billy was the last of the bunch and most had voted for death billy he opened his mouth and he squared himself away to orate something, but just as he'd done so the door opened and old daddy wither stepped in he had been gone so long i had plumb forgot him Right before him was a tall spare fellow with black eyes and straight iron gray hair. I vote, says Bill Harden, beginning of his speech. I vote for death, the reason upon which I based, but Dr. Kirby rise up and interrupted him. You are going to kill me, he said. He was pale, but he was quiet, and he spoke as calm and steady as he ever done in his life. You are going to kill me like the crowd and sneaking cowards that you are. And you are such cowards that you've talked two hours about it instead of doing it. And I'll tell you why you talk so much, because no one of you alone would dare do it, and every man of you in the end wants to go away thinking that the other fellow had the biggest share in it, and no one of you will fire the gun or pull the rope. You'll all do it all together in a crowd, because each one of you will want to tell himself he only touched the rope or that his gun missed. I know you by God, he shouted, flushing up in a passion, and it brought blood into their faces too. I know you right down to your roots, because then you know yourselves. He was losing hold of himself and roaring like a bull and flinging out taunts that made him squirm. If we wanted to think over quick, he was taking just the way to warm him up to it. But I don't think he was figuring on anything then, or had any plan up his sleeve. He had made up his mind he was going to die, and he was so mad because he couldn't get in one good lick first that he was nigh crazy. I looked to see him lose all sense in a minute, and rush amongst them guns and end in a whirl. But just as I figured he was on his tiptoes for that, and was getting up in my own sand, he thrown a look my way, and something sobered him. He stood there digging his fingernails into the palm of his hands for a minute to get himself back, and when he spoke, he was sort of husky. That boy there, he says, and then he stops and kinds of chokes up, and in a minute he was begging for me. He tells him I wasn't mixed up in nothing. He wouldn't have done it for himself, but he begged for me. Nobody had paid much attention to me from the first, except Buck Hightower had put in a good word for me. But somehow the doctor had got the crowd listening to him again, and they all looked at me. He got next to me. I seen by the way they was looking, and I felt it in the air, that they was going to let me off. But Doctor Kirby, he had always been my friend. It made me sore fur to see him thinkin' I wasn't with him. So I says, "You better can that line of talk. They don't get you without they get me too. You ought to know I ain't a quitter. You give me a pain." And the doctor and me stood and looked at each other for a minute. He grinned at me, and all of a sudden we was neither one of us giving much a whoop, for it had come to us both at once at what awful good friends we was with each other. But just then there came a slow, easy-going sort of a voice from the back part of the room. That fellow that had come in along with old Daddy Withers, come saundering down the middle aisle, fumbling his coat pocket and spinking as he come. I've been hearing a great deal of talk about killing people in the last few minutes, he says. Everybody rubbered at him. End of chapter 20